better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Welcome back to the Parsha Podcast, your favorite Parsha Podcast out of all the Parsha Podcasts, for sure. This week, we're going to continue a little bit of where we left off last week, talking about individuality, talking about the power of the individual. I'm going to flip it a little bit. And uh, I want to speak to the fact that our generation um, in particular, and I think the general trend in society the last few generations, is to be a little bit more skeptical and resistant to authority than, than before. And we highly value our independence and our individuality. We somewhat resent being told what to do. Everybody's got their lines where they'll draw that line, but overall, we don't like being told what to do and how to live and being directed and commanded, uh, especially when it cramps my style. And I think that this has a profound effect on our relationship with Judaism, how we process the notion of a commandment, a mitzvah. Um, I don't think it affects it in a good way, but I also don't think that this is necessarily um, bad or evil on our part. I think it's just a result of a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of, of what's in it for us. What's the value of having a commandment in the first place? Why do we even need to be told? Why can't we just figure it out ourselves? Let everybody do their own thing. And so in today's class, we're going to talk about the value of being commanded, what that does for us that we can never do on our own. And we'll take some lessons from the Parsha, particularly the story of Abraham, who continues to be the star of the show in this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha is the Parsha of Bayera. Starts off with the narrative of Hashem appearing to Abraham. Bayera means, and he appeared. Uh, Hashem appearing to Abraham immediately after he had uh, soon after he had done the great mitzvah of circumcision. And uh, he's, the promise of a son is reiterated to him and so on. So we'll start off with a quote from the Talmud. This is a quote from the tractate Kiddushin, um, which starts off talking about marriage, but of course, on a, on a tangent after another tangent, ends up with this gem. Here's the quote. Greater is the one who is commanded to do a mitzvah and performs it, than one who is not commanded to, to do a mitzvah and performs it. In other words, I'll put it in more colloquial English. It's greater to do a mitzvah after you've been commanded to do it than to do a mitzvah which you were not commanded to do. That's a very puzzling statement. Because if you think about it, let's say in parenting terms, if I ask my kids, and I do, um, please come eat dinner, it's dinner time. Please clean up, clean up the toys. Um, please get ready for bed, and so on. Inevitably, I'm repeating myself once, twice, three times. Okay, let's be honest, 15 times until they finally comply. And when they do, it's, you know, oh, finally, I got them to do it. And it's 11 o'clock at night. But what if they would just do it on their own? Wouldn't I be more impressed? 
wouldn't that be greater if they had done it without me reminding them, without me commanding them? It would certainly be much more gratifying to me as the parent. And I would argue that they would have a better time of it too, because they wouldn't have to deal with a cranky parent if they would just do it on their own. But the Talmud saying the, the exact opposite, that um, in the context of the patriarchs and matriarchs, Abraham and Sarah and so on, they were never commanded to do any mitzvahs. And the mitzvahs that they did were voluntary. And yet it's greater for us to do our mitzvahs now because we were commanded to do them um, as opposed to the, the mitzvahs that our, our ancestors did way back in the day, which were voluntary. Seems to be very counterintuitive and very illogical I would think that maybe their approach to doing mitzvahs, which is of their own volition without being told, should be more exceptional. And me, when I do a mitzvah, when I finally do a mitzvah, it's after I've been commanded and I've been warned and I've been encouraged and all that. And I finally get up, you know, off the couch, so to speak, and do it. Why is that better? Um, so just to back it up a little bit, there's a statement made elsewhere in the Talmud, also in the same tractate Kedushin, where the Talmud says that Abraham fulfilled the entire Torah before it was given. And the quotes a verse, the verse says, because Abraham listened to my voice, says God, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. So we know from there that Abraham kept the Torah, he kept the mitzvahs, he observed Judaism before it was even a thing. Now, we have a very practical question. How exactly do you observe Judaism before it's a thing? For example, how can you put on tefillin, which contain parchment scrolls that describe the miracles of the Exodus before it even happens? What would the tefillin look like? What would they have inside them? If you, how would you put up a mezuzah on your door if, again, the Exodus didn't happen yet and, and, um, and that's what's in the mezuzah? Um, it's actually not in the mezuzah, I'm sorry. It's only in the tefillin. But, uh, and so on and so forth. How would you eat matzah on Passover? How would you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah? These, these things were not commanded yet. Um, how can you live in a sukkah on Sukkot? Which is also a commemoration of, uh, of, of our, our, our travels from Egypt. So, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Shalom Dov so known as the Rebbe Rashab, passed in 1920 in Russia. He writes that we're compelled to say that the Torah study and mitzvah observance of our ancestors before the Torah was given was not focused on the material, but it was much more of a spiritual and emotional uh, experience where they performed each, each mitzvah to connect to God in a, in a spiritual and emotional level. And so, for example, because the mitzvah of tefillin, even now, represents the, the quest to live according to the dictates of the mind while taming the temptations of the heart. So emotionally putting on tefillin means that you, you act that way, but not necessarily that you physically put on a pair of tefillin the way we have it now. So that's a little bit of clarification. When we say that the, our ancestors, Abraham and so on, um, did the mitzvahs before it was even given, we're talking primarily about a spiritual activity, a spiritual, emotional, psychological exercise 
which we now incorporate in the physical observance of the mitzvah, but back then they only did a spiritual observance, a spiritual practice. The, uh, the catch to that, the caveat to that, is that we do have some examples in the Torah where our forefathers are doing some kind of physical act in relation to a mitzvah. So for example, um, we have the story when Isaac requests his son Esav to please prepare some food for him and then he'll give him the blessing. Right? This is the famous story where Jacob pretends to be Esav and, and gets the blessings instead. So the meal that Esav went to prepare were two goats. And the Talmud asks, well, why would you prepare two goats for one person? It's impossible for, an, for a single human being to eat that much food. So the Talmud explains, no, it was Passover. And he had one goat as the Passover offering. And the other goat was the general uh, offering that's brought on every holiday. So basically he was observing the laws of bringing sacrifices, um, animal sacrifices on Jewish holidays. But the point is that the physical act was beside the point. Their primary, their primary um, focus in doing these acts was the spiritual side of things. And so there was, a, there was a material manifestation, a physical manifestation of it, but it wasn't really their, their primary goal. The primary goal and objective was a spiritual, emotional experience. You might say that in the way that a person's face expresses their mood or their emotion, right? Facial expressions carry and convey what's going on inside of you. Um, but obviously you don't set out to grimace or smile in any particular way. You set out to have a certain mood and almost accidentally or inadvertently your face contorts itself into various positions that express how you're feeling. So you could say that maybe the whatever physical acts Abraham and Yitzchak and so on, um, our forefathers, whatever physical acts they did as part of their mitzvah observance was really incidental in the way that a facial expression is incidental to how you're feeling. It's there, but it's really not the main thing. And this is obviously very different from how we practice mitzvahs today. Today, in order to put on tefillin, for example, you've got to meet a whole bunch of specific criteria. They must be black, the, the boxes must be square, the writing must be perfect. And if any of those specifications is even slightly off, then you're wasting your time. That's not a good pair of tefillin. You're not doing anything. Um, nowadays, we focus very much on the what of the mitzvah, the physical object. Um, and we obviously bring our intentions and our feelings to that, but it's primarily a physical activity that we inject with some thoughts and feelings. Whereas our forefathers concentrated on the how of the mitzvah, we, we, where they were primarily focused on the intention and the meditation and the meaning and whatever material objects they had involved were just a side vehicle to express the spirituality that they were aiming for. Which is also why nowadays, by the way, um, we treat um, a, a physical object that was used for a mitzvah. So for example, um, the container of a Torah scroll, right? The, 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 the cover of a Torah scroll or the case of a mezuzah and so on, um, all are considered to, make, to possess some degree of holiness and sanctity and we can't just throw them in the garbage. That means that we've, we've actually injected into the physical item some element of spirituality that does not leave. 
does not change, does not go away. Now, the question I want to ask you is, which version of doing mitzvahs makes more sense? Which one is more intuitive? Do you think that I, uh, as a way of connecting to God, doing something that's primarily spiritual, mental, emotional, is the way to go with the physical playing a supporting role? Or do you think that using the physical object primarily as the objective where the, and, and the spiritual, mental, emotional aspect is just a secondary element, is that a more um, conducive or to be expected method of connecting to God? I think the answer is obvious. The former, more spiritual approach makes more sense as a method of connecting to God. The mitzvah is a commandment from God um, that should mean that you're connecting with the divine, which is spiritual, which is not physical, which can't be captured in the physical world. So if it's something very spiritual, why should it have anything to do with the physical world? Let it be completely spiritual, psychological, mental, emotional, and so on. Um, what would be the logic of tying a spiritual activity to a dumb physical object? Um, and even more, let's, let, let's just add this to the original question. Why does this make our mitzvahs, after we've been commanded to do them, greater than those of our forefathers? So you, you, you wanted to argue that being compelled is more exceptional than being, doing something voluntarily. And, and we're saying that their mitzvahs were more spiritual, ours are more physical. That seems that we've just made that question stronger. Again, their mitzvahs should be more valuable our mitzvahs seem to have two strikes against them. Number one, our mitzvahs are commanded and they're not voluntary. Number two, our mitzvahs are, prim are primarily physical and not spiritual. Shouldn't ours be of a lower quality? And so here is where we're going to get to the nugget of the answer to the original question of what is there, what benefit is there in being commanded? Um, and as much as we might bristle at being told what to do, or having God's commandments conflict with what we want to do right now, um, what could we consider as what's in it for us? What could we accept as, okay, there's actually a benefit for me here that I should really take seriously. I want you to please pay close attention to this. We're going to be talking about something that is really a whole different angle, a whole different you know, perspective on the divine commandments. So this quote comes to us from the Maharal of Prague, Rabbi Yehuda Loi of Prague, who was the chief rabbi of Prague and passed away in the early 1600s. He authored many, many works in Jewish philosophy, Talmudic commentary, biblical commentary, and so on. And this comes to us from his commentary to the Talmud on that quote that we quoted at the beginning about the mitzvahs of, of someone who's, the good deeds of someone who's commanded to do them are better superior to the one who does them voluntarily. Here's the quote. The key difference between these two is in the motivation for the performance. When you are commanded to perform a specific act and you comply, the behavior is then attributed to its cause, the command. Conversely, when you perform the same act, but purely of your own volition, then the reason for your behavior can only be attributed to yourself, the one performing the act. Okay? 
So the, the point there is, when a person does a mitzvah, because they're recommended by God to do so, the driving force of the behavior is God. Someone who's volunteering to do the same mitzvah, the driving force of their behavior is themselves. So as, as nice as that is, it doesn't measure up to an action attributed to God himself. So let's unpack that a little bit more. We as human beings have awesome potential. With hard work and determination, ambition, we can achieve greatness. And our forefathers epitomized this. They were amazing people, real human beings on this world, who reached the highest levels possible. But that's exactly it. They, they only reached the highest levels possible for a human being. They reached the pinnacle of humanity, but it was only the pinnacle of humanity because being a human by definition is some sort of limitation. They were stuck in the box of being a human being. Our mitzvahs that we do on the other hand are not on our terms at all. We're performing God's commandments. When I put on tefillin, I'm not doing something to express myself. This is not self-expression. This is complete transcendence of myself. And this is what giving the Torah at Mount Sinai introduced and changed for all of us. God took the same traditions that had been practiced by our ancestors and gave them to us. And now they're God's commandments. And so now it's not just me doing something nice or meaningful, which is great, but also objectively limited and can never, can never be the full, full truth of whatever's out there because I'm only a human being. When I do a mitzvah that was commanded by God, so it's already an experience and it's already an act that is really not related to me. It's way beyond me. The reason I'm doing it, the reason that it means anything, um, the, the whole identity of what this mitzvah is, is something that is completely in God's domain. I'm just tapping into that automatically, by definition, we're talking about an experience that's a completely different order of magnitude than when I do something that is, you know, self-expressive. And that's also why this will affect the physical world and leave some sanctity and holiness in the physical object. Because on my own terms, as a physical person, as a human being, it's foolish and ridiculous to think that I can somehow magically take cowhide and make it holy and divine. But from God's perspective, he's the source of everything. He's equally removed from the physical and the spiritual, and nothing's impossible. So by, his, by, 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 simple, by virtue of the, the power of his commandments, a physical object can also be considered holy. And it becomes, so to speak, a holy cow. <clears throat> so the only remaining question after this is, are we saying that our forefathers are now irrelevant? Are they just historical figures, good for baby naming, but secondary to who we are? Do we have nothing to learn from them? Well, that wouldn't seem to be the case because we always define ourselves as the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Three times a day in our prayers, we say our God and the God of our forefathers. And we are called the children of Israel, which is the third 
of the patriarchs. So obviously we don't deny uh, or shy away from our connection to our forefathers, the patriarchs and the matriarchs. But if observing the Torah today has no semblance to the way they observe the Torah, then how can we actually compare and, and connect our Judaism to theirs? So first of all, with the commandment of the bris that we spoke about last week, um, Avram was actually commanded by God to do that. It was the one mitzvah which he did not do voluntarily. He waited until God told him to do the bris. And so that was step one in, you know, getting into this mode and, and bridging into our form of worship, our form of, of doing mitzvahs. But we do take a great lesson from the approach of our forefathers, and primarily Avraham. We ourselves, we have this great privilege that we were given the mitzvahs by God, and therefore our mitzvahs have that additional benefit of being commanded. And so the motivation behind the mitzvah is not me, but God. And that puts it in a whole different level, much higher level. We can change the world. We can unite physical and spiritual. Um, and we do these acts of self-transcendence rising out of our box and out of our limitations every day. But there are times when you don't feel that empowered, you don't feel that grand about your whole spirituality. Um, there might be times and areas in your life where you'll feel, you'll feel lost or stuck without clear guidance on how to find a way forward. And um, what if you fail to see how the power of a mitzvah relates to your aspirations? And what if you find it challenging to keep the mitzvahs altogether? So we have a lesson from our forefathers Avram is the inspiration. Last week we read the parsha called Lech Lecha, which means to travel. And Hashem called Avram to travel from the land of Haran to the land of Canaan, the future land of Israel. And that speaks to the fact that Avram never stopped. He was always on a journey. He was never satisfied with his achievements. And Avram did the best he could possibly do. And then this week's parsha, we read about how God rewards him and appears to him and shows him the gift of a transformational mitzvah, the, the mitzvah of the bris, of circumcision. Because he climbed as high as he could, Hashem raised him to a place that he could have never reached on his own. So the lesson is, do the best you can. That sounds like a cliche, but doing the best you can is actually quite a bit. It's a lot more than what you're doing right now, I'll wager. I remember reading that the Navy SEALs and training are taught that most human beings operate at most at 40% of their capacity and their potential. So we say do the best you can. It's not do whatever you can, whatever you want. It's actually do the best you can. You're capable of quite a lot. Maximize the potential you already have. You have tremendous potential. Each of us have gifts. We don't have to compare ourselves with others. We all are here to make our unique contribution. We need you to be you, not try to be somebody else. And do the best you can with what you've got. And then after that, you will be gifted the gift of awesomeness. Hashem will reach out and say, you've done the best you can. Now I will appear to you and take you to the next level. And the lesson from this is, 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 is that. And um, I hope that this also shows us, shows you that there is a benefit to being commanded. There's something to it. We might want to rebel against it. That's fine. We all have an evil inclination. We all have a Yetzirah who's not in the mood, 
That's okay. You're a normal human being. We all would rather just be doing our own thing. But when we do our own thing, we have to realize the trade-off is there. Doing your own thing only gets you so far. And allowing yourself to be commanded, allowing yourself to submit to the authority of Hashem is a way to rise above yourself, to be freed of the tyranny of your own ego. And every mitzvah is basically an escape of, of liberation from the confines and the limitations of being a human being to the infinite possibilities of living a godly lifestyle. Have a great week.